As a child, California-born Angela Lee knew tragedy, uncertainty, and messy emotions. Mm -hmm. She was six when her family home burnt down. Then after moving from place to place, her parents divorced. Four years ago, tragedy struck her again as her family home was destroyed by the Tubbs fire. Mm -hmm. Like a phoenix rising through the ashes, Lee used her, these incidents as a catalyst for change and growth. She is a development coach and the author of a children's fairy tale series, The Bella Santini Chronicles. These books were written to help guide preteens through emotions that she felt as a young girl. The text acts as a tool to help children process and work through their feelings of abandonment, bullying, and a host of other emotions. Given that the NPR cites suicide as a leading cause of death for individuals aged 10 to 24, Lee is dedicated to saving children's lives. Angela, welcome. Hi, Debbie. It's so nice to be here. I really, what a lovely introduction. Thank you. Thanks. You had to flee your home at age six. Mm, yeah. Lost everything, including your family for a short while because your parents put you in foster care as they were looking for new housing. I can't even imagine how you process that at six. You know, it's, I have like vague memories. Oh. I remember, see, I was the one who discovered the fire. I was five or six years old. My mom was in the bathroom getting ready to go to work. It was 6 a.m. dark. And there were these dancing lights that I could see on the, on the porch. And I said, why is to my mom or my sister, I said, why is there a merry-go-round on our porch? And she looked, she figured it out. And she ran and told my mom who got us all out. When I think about it, there's, there was no such thing as trauma counseling or crisis management <laughs> back then. And this was 1969 when the fire happened. No one talked about feelings. And in my young mind, it was like, I'm not wanted because first everything's gone. And then I'm, I'm sent to a family friend who I never, I didn't know who this person was. She was a stranger, kind woman. And it was traumatic. Your parents divorce. How did that impact you? Were you kind of relieved because your father was kind of angry all the time? Yeah, it was freedom. It was freedom from the trauma, freedom from the darkness. As we drove away and found a new place to live, I just felt freedom and guilt for not caring that I wasn't going to be around my dad, but he just brought darkness into our lives. And I didn't want to have that around. Giving yourself away or please disease, sometimes mm. that feels like a female curse. <laughs> <laughs> when you finally realized you needed to take control of your life, 
where did you start? Mm, you know, that was a, a bit of a process because taking control of my life didn't really start until the Tubbs wildfire in 2017, which really destroyed a whole community. And one my house was one of 5,000. It was like the rug was pulled out from under us, both of us, my ex-husband and myself. And I was, I was forced to ask really hard questions because if life can change that quickly, if your whole world can turn upside down in five minutes, then why was I spending time in a relationship where mm -hmm. I was miserable? Why was I allowing myself to be treated the way I was treated? And at the time I was very much in victim mode. And so I blamed him for what he did. And I could not see my responsibility of allowing this to happen, of my staying. That was my choice to stay. I I am a very much an empath and I could not take, it was like, it was the hardest thing for me to do to leave this marriage because I knew leaving was going to hurt him. And for me to choose an action that caused someone else pain was like, I can't do that. And yet the fire brought me to the realization that staying caused pain too. And the realization that I was putting his needs before mine. And once I had that understanding, I had to choose myself. And hard, hard, hard <laughs> to do when, and as you say, so many women are givers and they they don't think about themselves when you're cutting the cake for the mm -hmm. birthday cake the kids get all the pieces and mom gets what's left over that's kind of the the way we think about it is we need to give to others but we cannot give unless we put ourselves first mm. and so cultivating that self-love is so important. It's, it's, it's like everything <laughs> and people get confused. What self-love is, is it, I get massages and I, I eat right. And I exercise. No, that's self-care. Mm. And that is an aspect of self-love. But can you look in the mirror and say, I love myself, even though you see flaws? Can you allow your feelings because they are part of you? And when we reject or resist a feeling, we are rejecting or resisting a part of ourselves. And it's, it's hard 
I've been through the gauntlet of facing hard feelings and it's really hard, but the promise is that there's freedom at the other side because the entire time we're resisting a feeling, that feeling has control of us because as we push it away, we're actually holding on to it. We're keeping that feeling even though we're pushing it away. I say every time we reject a feeling, it's like picking up a big rock and we put it in a backpack and we carry it around. And that feeling keeps revisiting us and revisiting us and revisiting us. When we actually can face a feeling, the energy can dissipate and it doesn't have to revisit us. Freedom lies in facing those hard feelings. When you were a kid and even now, did you, especially when you were a kid, did you ever have somebody who could act as a sounding board? Was mm -hmm. there somebody that you had that could help you kind of hold your hand through these things that you were going through? Not really. My mom is an angel and she, she doesn't really understand about the importance of feeling feelings. This was not a lesson I learned in my youth. What I learned in my youth was anger is bad. My dad had rage and that was bad. And I, I could not do that. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I resisted, rejected and repressed anger for 50 some years. And it has only been in the last, well, since the tub's fire that I've faced anger. Mm. That was a huge fear for me to face and allow myself to be angry. With that backpack analogy, I say that we carry that load and it weighs us down and sometimes it can break us. But also the backpack can break and all those feelings come tumbling out in an explosive way. And when I was in my marriage, I would get pushed, 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 pushed. And I might get to the point where I would explode, but rage wasn't acceptable. And so then I'm guilty for having this feeling that, that is natural, but I thought was bad. And so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people can relate. Tell us more about the Bella Santini Chronicles. Was writing about this, writing this, writing your own pain. Yeah, in a way, I realized that some of this, some of the scenes in the book are like a reenactment of things. There's in in book two, there are wraiths that come out of the mist, and they will they will hold you, mesmerize you, and hold you in their 
if you look at their eyes, you're stuck. Mm -hmm. So, and then once they have you, they draw a, a claw down you and suck all the energy out of, and they attack the fairies in this way. It's really an analogy for energy vampires because when you live with someone who is draining your energy, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard. In the book, the answer is love. Mm. And that's how the fairy, because if the fairies are the emissaries of love. And so they fight this war with the race by just aiming love at the wraiths, which causes the wraiths to dissolve back into mist. And I realized as I was reflecting on how this kind of came onto paper, I was thinking, oh my gosh, my former marriage, what was needed was for me to be able to give unconditional love because that would have healed the pain that he had. But when you're in the thick of the war and you have anger, rage, and blame thrown at you, it's, it's impossible. I, mm-hmm. I could not be unconditionally loving. I had the condition that he treat me right. Mm-hmm. I had to remove myself from that battlefield in order to understand what was going on in order to be able to raise my love to unconditional. And I, I do have unconditional love for my ex-husband. I don't talk to him. I don't, he, he probably doesn't know that I do, but I hold him in unconditional love because that is, that is what the world needs. Instead of pointing our fingers and blaming, we need to see our, where, where is our responsibility in that interaction? Even if it's just, hey, I stayed there and took it. <laughs> That's still a responsibility, that choice we made. So where is our responsibility? And when we, when we take responsibility, we step out of victim. And it's, when we're in victim, we can't change anything. But when we take responsibility, we have choice and we can make changes and that is freedom too. <laughs> wow. What are some of the warning signs people, parents, teachers, and others can can watch for in a young person that's going through mm. something? Oh boy. I have a whole booklet of warning signs that I put together on my and it's on my website off the top of my head i can say when a child is shut down and mm-hmm. they're not they're not talking about what's wrong that's a time for a parent to to try 
and talk to them. And I know it's hard. My son, when he was 16, 17, went into a really deep depression. And I was afraid that he might try suicide. Oh, God. And I remember going into his room and and trying to talk to him. And he he would say nothing, nothing, and just be non-responsive. And what I know now is that if I had gone in and told him a story from my youth and told him how I was, I felt in my youth, that might have shown him that I could be empathic about what he was feeling. Mm -hmm. And so rather than going in and trying to fix it, but just go in and share show them that I felt that way and I understand the depth of the feeling that it's okay to feel that way, not go in with, I got to fix this. Right. An understanding that we have dark shadow feelings and we have light feelings and both are part of us. And we need to allow ourselves to embrace that darkness in order for us to be whole. Do you think today there are, right now today, that there are fewer resources available for children who are struggling because of all the cuts to social media and education? I think that right now today, under the COVID situation, which made separation and just kind of pulled the rug out from under everybody, COVID was like mini fire to me because the rug of COVID being pulled out was nothing compared to starting over with nothing. But for those of us who haven't been through a fire, COVID could have been a really, you know, big shift in reality. And I think about people who were alone and how important touch is. And for a year, there were seniors who never got to touch their grandkids, their kids, because they're in a very highly susceptible group, they were kept separate. And for teenagers, school went away and the structure of school went away. And so they're afloat for a little while. They don't have their social interaction. The social interaction they have is all through social media Mm -hmm. And that is fraught with peril for kids. It's, It's a real concern right now. I read on NPR that hospitals were seeing an a one third increase in young girls with attempted suicide. Mm. And what I understand is that Suicide stems from painful feelings that 
the kids, the adults, whoever it is, want to escape. And I know what it's like to have those feelings. I know what it's like to be in so much despair. You don't see hope. You don't see any possible resolution. And I also know that life brings changes, even if we can't see it. I look back on the four years since, almost five years since the fire, I had no idea all the things I was going to do since then. Um, <laughs> I had no idea how my life would change. If we can just persevere through, it will get better. With kids having lost that hope and wanting, wanting to escape the pain, Telling them it's going to be get better isn't going to help because they can't see it. No. But having them understand that feelings are energy and they flow. And if we let them flow, they will dissipate. That, that gold nugget is so important. We aren't taught that feelings have a lifespan of like 90 to 120 seconds, hmm. unless our brain gets involved. It's when we start saying, it's not fair that happened. We're, we're holding that feeling in now because we've grabbed onto it. So our brains can either push a feeling away or grab onto a feeling and keep it. Either way, because it's energy, it stays stuck with us. It is only when we can be a witness to our feelings that the feelings are allowed to flow. And in doing that, then we are free of the feelings. I love the idea you mentioned about finding your inner magic and what the heck, why does it take us so long? Well, our inner magic is love. It's love, playfulness, curiosity, and wonder. And those things are, we're born with, they're gifts. And when you look at the youngest of children, they have those. But as you track children, as they grow, they start losing those gifts. And it's, who do we point the finger at? It, it's society. It's the schools. They're not known for building curiosity. When you have, when you're teaching to tests and there's right and wrong, that is not a reflection of life because nothing is ever black and white in life. <laughs> there are a thousand shades of gray. When you, even in math, you can present problems in a way that open curiosity 
how can you arrive at this answer? And maybe there's four different ways that you can arrive at the correct answer. But in school, that's not taught. Only the correct answer is taught and the one way to get it. And I think, yeah, it, it's beaten out of us by society and, and the way school is done. There are some schools that that do promote curiosity and learning and hopefully more and more will come. You know, it, it's when we get to teenage years, we start thinking that's childish and we, we leave behind the childish things. Mm. And what we do is we throw away our childlike qualities. And there's a difference between childlike and childish. Because to be childish is to have tantrums, to be selfish. It's, it's the hard part of childhood. <laughs> <laughs> but to be childlike is to be in touch with your inner play and to have laughter and curiosity in your life. And those are such a gift because in my marriage, it was like, I didn't have joy. I didn't know what it was like to laugh. And in my life now, I'm laughing all the time. And curiosity, we all have technology glitches. Think times when technology just doesn't do what we want. <laughs> and when we approach that from frustration, it just gives us frustration. When we approach it from curiosity, how can I make this work? <laughs> <laughs> then we can get ideas flowing into us. Those things, the childlike wonder. I think about a three-year-old who will see a snail, will kick the snail out of the way or, or ignore it at best, but they will wonder about it. How does it move? What's, what's in that trail that it leaves? How does it locomote without legs? And it's all wonder for them. And how, how often do we feel that wonder about the natural world? It's, I remember the last time I felt that was the first time I saw Yosemite as we were driving in. And I was just like filled with awe over the beauty of this landscape. It's something that is, according to the science of happiness, wonder and awe and playfulness and curiosity <laughs> <laughs> all make us happier. Mm. And it is definitely something to encourage. Wow. <clears throat> Regardless of where people are in their life journey, what is one action they can do 
to find that <clears throat> inner peace, that inner mm. inner magic. Yeah. Usually what I would talk about is give a tool for being being a witness to your feelings. But your question is couched in, you know, finding that magic and use of the tool helps you be with your feelings, which eventually leads to magic. But feelings are like an onion <laughs> that it's time and again that you have to do it for instant magic. I like to return people to their childhood. Mm. And how I do that is I say, close your eyes and breathe. And remember a time when you were a child and you were playing. And just remember that time and breathe and feel the feelings that you felt. And in doing that, just taking five minutes to Remember a joyous moment from your childhood. It could be a joyous moment from your 20-year-old. It doesn't have to be when you're a child. But remember a time when you were feeling joy and tap into the feeling. Allow yourself to feel that feeling. All too often, we revisit painful feelings. Mm. And we never revisit joyful feelings. Hmm. Give yourself a gift and revisit a time of joy. That is great. That's a great way to end this broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Angela. This was absolutely wonderful. Debbie, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this chat. And you ask such great questions. <laughs> oh. Thank you so much. Thank you.